Let's runners, are you having trouble finding the sports you want to watch? Looking for random channels when most of it's on free on YouTube if you have the right IP address? Sign up for the VPN we use at Let's Run. Go to letsrun.com slash VPN. That's letsrun.com slash VPN. Welcome to one of the greatest editions of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. We have so much to discuss. Faith Kipyegon has broken the 1500 meter world record. We hope you like world records as we might have two more this Friday in Paris. Jakob Ingebrigtsen is going for the two mile, Mecha Germa, the steeplechase. Actually make that three. Sydney McLaughlin Ravoni has entered in the 400 hurdles. Actually, could it be four? Faith Kipyegon is moving up to the 5,000 already. My dream has become true. Should be racing Let's Enough today. We'll talk about that. Cole Hawker is back. Are the Americans now a powerhouse in the 5,000? Three of them have broken 13 flat. Four high school work boys from the U.S. have broken four flat. Plus, we've got a preview of the NCAA meet that starts on Wednesday in Austin, Texas with Caitlin Tui and Britton Wilson chasing historic doubles. And then we're going to end the podcast with an amazing interview with Dutch phenom Niels Laros. He was American. He would have the national record at 5,000 for age 18 at 13.23 and maybe 800, 146.3 hand time. Actually, he'd be 0.05 off there, but that's going to be amazing. This is former NCAA assistant coach of the year, Robert Johnson, joined as always by Weldon Johnson and Jonathan Gold. That's regional coach of the year, right, Robert? You want national assistant coach of the year. Um. Uh, did you not? I, I was trying to shorten the, 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 the uh, intro was going on quite long, <laughs> trying to shorten it. So you saw me go like this. I was making a a virtual asterisk when I said that. But okay. I did. Yeah, our podcasts I've, are known for their brevity. So uh, I'm glad that you were able to condense that information for the viewers. I was changing my backdrop this morning. NCA, oh, excuse me, indoor. NCA Division One indoor track and field, men's assistant coach of the year. Northeast region, so well, well deserved. Congratulations on the on the honor, Robert. And you're setting a high bar for this podcast. You're saying it's going to be one of the greatest we've ever done. We haven't even recorded this thing yet. We do our intro, then we do the podcast. So the pressure is on. Just like those athletes in Austin this weekend, just like Lamecha Goma and Jakob Ingebrigtsen and their world record attempts, we've got to deliver a grade A podcast. Well done, or we're going to be accused of false advertising here. John, we always deliver a great A podcast. Well, not always, you know, 80%. But proof is in the pudding. Tons of people signed up for the to hear the Florence Diamond League reaction show. We've already broke breaking down Faith Kippy Agon's amazing run once. Join today, get the supporters club. You save on running shoes. This thing pays for itself. You know how many you get a money back guarantee. You know how many people we've ever had cancel? Zero. Not everyone keeps continuing forever, but no one said, oh, this sucks, cancel, ever. We've had, you know, thousands of people pay and shit, like, zero cancellations. Everyone who signed up this week for the year, thank you, people, for doing that. You get a free t-shirt, do it today, let'srun.com slash subscribe. Well, I think I need to become a fan of world records now, because I say I don't root for storylines, but if we're going to get 
people signing up for the supporters club every time there's a world record set. I think I need to root for Jakob Ingebrigtsen to set a world record. I think I need to root for Goma. Robert even invented extra world record attempts. There aren't world record attempts in the 400 or the 5K in Paris, but there are star-studded fields. So yeah, I think now I'm I'm firmly in the camp of let's have more world records so more people sign up and listen to the podcast and get our Friday 15 breakdowns. Because the one on Kip Yeager I thought was an excellent episode. Uh, I, I do think that was great A quality. And intern Alex is here to keep us in check. He'll have this segment. Also pleased to announce, intern Alex is already using chat GPT to write articles. This is the future, guys. This is the future. I was wondering, are young kids using chat GPT? I've been pushing for it. It makes tons of mistakes. Alex discovered that. I've discovered that. But guys, we're learning how to stay ahead of these computers or use them to our advantage. Yeah, I mean, congratulations, belated congratulations to Diego Estrada. According to ChatGPT, he's a two-time NCAA champion. So uh, I didn't know that, but apparently ChatGPT says it's true. It's kind of unreal, right, John? We give Alex his first big break. I said, hey, write the 10,000, 5,000 steeple previews for NCAAs. And apparently ChatGPT wrote it and was, you know, Alex, other than that mistake, Jonathan said it was good. I haven't read it yet. And I apologize. Like, apparently, I made a mistake. I didn't realize Cindy McLaughlin was in the 400, not the 400 hurdles. She's not breaking that world record. So can we just get on that now? And are, are we going to be celebrating these world records? I mean, I did celebrate it at the start of the show, the hype, but I'm not sure if I'm for this farce of Lamecha Gurma ducking Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Personally, I would like them to be in the same race. These guys are both in supreme shape. They're both in the two-mile Feel very confident one of them would get the world record. So one of them's ducking the other. Since Jakob also has a steeple with Chase background, could he enter the steeple and go for the world record there? How cool would that be if he got the world record in the steeple before the 1500 or 5000? Anyways, kind of kidding there, I think. But let's talk a little bit more about Kip Yegan. We broke it down in great detail, but on my written recap the week that was yesterday, uh, you know, I was thinking, what do I want to see next from Kip Yegan? And we were also ta- I was also talking about Safan Hassan. And, you know, Hassan, just 41 days after winning the London Marathon, runs 29.37 last week, and then 3.57 a day later. Ridiculous. So if you're worried she didn't have enough time to recover, this woman is superwoman. The super shoes are super, and she's already recovered. So I think she's going to have a great track season. And when I was thinking about it, I I thought of two things. I said, one, I really want to see these women race each other in the 1500 fresh because they both won global titles in the 1500. But when Hassan won hers in 2019, Kipiegat had the excuse of she was coming back from maternity leave in 2021 when when Kipiegat won the Olympic gold. Hassan had the 10,000 in her legs. I'm like, let's see them race fresh in the 1500. And the second thought that I had was I really want to see Kip Yegan move to the 5,000. She's kind of solved. I think she solved the 1,500. If she beats us on straight up in a fresh race when they're both at peak fitness, I'll have proof of that. So if she solved the event, I'd like her to move to the 5,000. And what? Five hours after I published this piece? The Paris Diamond League results come out and I mean, entries come out and She's entered in the 5,000 against Gadea. I'm so excited. 
yeah, I'm with you, Robert. I mean, what she's done in the 1500, she's the GOAT. It's undisputed. She really doesn't have anything else to prove. I guess the one thing she wants to do is win a third straight Olympic title. No woman has ever won a track event three times at the Olympics. I think Anita Wolodczyk of Poland, she's won three hammer titles, but she's the only one to win an event three times. So that would be making history, but at that point, she's basically just running up the score in the 1500. But I'm with you. I, I think a 1500 against Hassan, I do wonder, having run a marathon in April, I know she just ran 358, but are you going to be able to go from being one of the best marathoners in the world to April to then really posing a legitimate challenge to the greatest 1500 runner of all time in a 1500 in August. Do you think that's feasible, Robert? Cause my memories of it, Hassan raced her in 2021. She beat her in Florence in 2021, actually in the 1500. That was the last time Kip Yegon lost to 1500. But then in Monaco, they raced again. Kip Yegon was much better. And I- I'm just curious are we ever going to see the 2019 version of Hassan, the one that broke the world record in the mile that ran 351 in the world championship final? Is that version in the 1500 ever coming back? Because that is really the only th- person I think who could challenge Kip Yegon. It's a good question. I mean, the more I thought about it last night, maybe I'm like creating a false controversy. Like, I think I know what would happen. Fifth Kate, Faith Kip Yegon, most of the time, if they're at their peak fitness, I mean, if they're peak fitness, I, I give her the edge over Hassan at, at 1500. Like, she's a, would be a little bit better than her at that event, I think, particularly since Hassan's moved up to the marathon that you think you should, she would have lost a little bit of her speed. And the reason why I wanted to keep Yegon to move the 5,000 is what we're, to me, it's like when people, when these 5,000, the champion, particularly the championship 5,000s, like the person with sick mile speed, it seems to be almost unbeatable. Ingebrigtsen last year at Worlds, um, Elga Rouge back in the day, Hassan now Udof, even. I mean, she's got Udolf Sagai last got, year as well. It was Sagai against Gaday. Gaday won the 10K. She's the world record holder. It was no contest. Sagai, who was the is a 353-1500 runner, she won the gold in the 5K. Right. And that's in that who's the world record holder, wins 5,000. She never wins 5,000 unless it's a world record attempt because she gets out kicked. But what I think would happen there, well, I don't know if we're ever going to have Pete track Hassan again, but I would assume that Hassan would edge Kip Yegon. But we got to remember, Kip Yegon was a distance phenom. I mean, she won two World Junior Cross Country titles, I think one of them barefoot back in the day. And, you know, before she got really good at the 5,000, she did run some 5,000s. So this weekend will be her first 5,000 since 2015. So pre-Super Shoes era, when she was still pretty young, if that was eight years ago, she would have been, what, 21? She ran 14.31 for second and three, and then was only seventh in Rome in 14.44. So uh, 14.31 back then, I think, with the shoes, is at least a 14.20 now. And we don't have full entries for this race, but we know that G'day and Kip Yegon are doing it. Laura Muir is also doing it. I assume head-to-head. You're going with Kip Yegon over G'day for the win here, Robert. I am, unless they had some sick rabbits really push the pace for G'day. But can we just praise all these women? Like we, we talk, we, we we spend so much time talking about, you know, Offay Mo not racing, McLaughlin Lavoni not racing, but 
you know, they're not actually when I was doing some stuff, there's they're not the only people not racing. Some of the other Americans are injured. And if they're not a top star, we don't even notice whether people are racing. But G'day does World Cross Country, or Valencia Marathon, World Cross Country, and then now track and Hassan's running marathons and now the track and Kip Yagon's running, a, you know, not resting on her worlds after setting the world record in the 1500. So it's just, it's pretty exciting to be a fan. It's awesome. You want to see your best athletes challenging themselves and pushing the limits of the sport. And that's what these women like to do. And that, that's why I think we're talk, so caught up about what Kip Yagon's going to do next, because there aren't really many more things for her to do in the 1500. So anytime she's pushing her limits, it's going to involve another event at this point. And I think 5K, I mean, heck, if the schedule's doable, 1500, 5K and double in Paris, that would be fun to see. Because is she still going to be able to challenge in the 5K in LA in 2024? Sorry, yeah, LA in 2028 when she's going to be you know, 34 years old, something like that. The fact she's running this Paris 5K, it's pretty amazing. She breaks the world record in the 1500. And then just immediately next race out, it's like, I don't care. I'm willing to go face the world record holder in the 5K. That's how you became, she already is a superstar in this sport, but this is how you get even more fans. It's why we, I, related to this, it's why we like Hassan. I mean, she's essentially doing unprecedented stuff. I thought we would see her like maybe once before Worlds and, you know, she would get at the qualifying times and then give it a go at Worlds. Nope. 2930 and whatever 350 in the same weekend and but it's crazy also that we're we're talking you guys are even contemplating and back to the 15 that hassan would beat kipia at 1500 this year she just went under 350 well not only not only that hassan just won the london marathon so <laughs> the idea is preposterous really think about it like can we imagine kipchoge taking down any britson Actually, Kip Yagon's probably is better than Ingebrigtsen has been in the 1500, right? So, right, but no, I mean, look to the one thing I would say is Safan Hassan is the one person since 2017 who has beaten Faith Kip Yagon. No, that's the only person in that whole span that's beaten Kip Yagon. It's Hassan in Florence, Hassan the 2020, sorry, 2019 Worlds, and that was when Kip Yagon was still coming back from childbirth, but. That's why we're throwing this out, Weldon, because otherwise it's just like, well, it's kind of a foregone conclusion. You know, she's going to beat everyone else. She's probably going to beat Hassan if they both train for it, but there is at least some evidence in the past that she's been beaten. Now, you, John, you kind of, I, mean, I do think there's a lot of hits. She needs to try, Duff certainly needs to go for three in a row in the 1500 in the Olympics. And then she's kind of solved the event. But to me, there's nothing wrong with, stacking it up after that like i don't know what it was like back in the day i mean you know it wasn't i guess back in the day you weren't watching you couldn't watch every meet now as a track fan it's like if you're not watching every meet live it's like oh you're not a good enough fan like but it's exhausting to watch the portland track festival hingolo paris uh nashville distance carnival i mean god it's just like you know and several people have said we should have an app that like you notified you're notified like you know, this meets on now or your favorite runner is running now. Watch here. But, you know, I, I still think adding to your legacy for future people to try to break it is important. But I, I said on the Friday show, or because there was a comment on YouTube, is she the greatest 1,500-meter runner ever, male or female? And I did a little research on this. El Garouche and 
I know some people, I don't know how to say it. He, he competed in a different era when I, I think EPO, it wasn't even EPO test until 2000. But the, like, was it boring? I don't know. I wasn't watching track daily back then. How good he was. Like, if you compare the stats, well, he's only got one Olympic title in the 1500. His career is better than, than Kip Yagon's. I mean, this guy from 1996 to 2003 lost a grand total, including heats, of one 1500 where he didn't fall. So like, he fell one race. That's two races. So he lost two. Now, they were big damn races. The 96 Olympics when he fell and the 2000 Olympics when he just got beat by Noah Nijini. But 93 and two over a seven-year period. 2004, he, he actually lost two races, but then he wins the Olympics in the 1500 and the 5000, taking, taking down Middle in the 5000 of Legat. I mean, uh, he beat Legat, the second fastest 1500 ever in the 1500, and then he beats Bakile and Kipchoge in the 5000. He has seven of the nine fastest times in history in the 1500, seven of the 10 fastest in, in, the, in the mile. It's just ridiculous. Those stats are amazing. Shows that you know, like you don't know everything right before your time. I had no idea his only two losses were the Olympics. I mean, that's crazy. Well, speaking of not knowing everything before your time, one of my takeaways from Kip Yagon's world record was she's the first woman to break 350. I was like, this is going to be awesome. 20 or 30 years from now, people are going to know Faith Kip Yagon's name. Even if the world record surpass, they're going to say she's the first person to break 350 on the women's side. And I put an analogy to John Walker, who I thought famously was the first human being to run under 350 in the mile. And right before we start recording the show, I'm confronted by Robert and Weldon. They're telling me, it's a strange analogy. Not everyone knows that. I'm like, what do you mean? You, you guys know that, right? And they're like, no, we, we don't actually. This is stunning to me. I, I, when I first got into track and field and becoming a fan, I thought it was absolutely insane that human beings had run under 350 in the mile and even more insane that they had done it back in the 70s. So I definitely remember John Walker's name. You guys, that didn't strike a chord with you? Like when you found out someone had run under 350 in the mile, you weren't just totally amazed and committed that fact to memory? The answer would be no. I, I think it's, and it's not because I was alive when the four minute mile was broken, John. I'm not quite that old, but don't try to make us look bad. Intern Alex, defend us. We asked you, we said, hey, did, did you know who the first sub 350 miler was? No, right? Correct. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know it was John Walker. John, there, there's one barrier. It's the four minute barrier. We're not making up 350 barriers or other barriers. When the first woman breaks four minutes in the mile, that person will be historic. I don't know how far away we are. You know, I, I famously said we'd never have a sub two hour marathon before I die. And that happened about two years later. So if I, if I say it right now, we'll never have a sub four minute mile by a woman before I die. We'll probably have it in two years with a new, you know, they'll skateboard around. They'll change the rules. No, sorry. My intention wasn't to embarrass you guys. It was just more shocked. Like I thought this was sort of a widely known track thing. Like John Walker was viewed as a barrier breaker and maybe my conception of his place in the sport was off because I viewed him as a, I mean, he was an Olympic champion in the 1500 as well. I thought it was really cool. He was the first guy into 350, but maybe I, I guess I overrated how many people felt the same way. 
John, do you know the first man under 330? In the 1500 meters? Yes. Um. Well, this is a barrier. This no, is a famous I'm, barrier for the rest of the world. It is John, a famous barrier, problem? but I feel like... Uh, wait, wait, I'm uh, thinking. Uh, I feel like the... I feel like the... 50, sorry, the mile, the sub-350 was... I mean, at least this is... I'm biased here, because clearly I know it's John Walker. In the 1500, I'm going to guess it was Saeed Awida. No, John. It's someone we hear from every week. Sebco? Nope. Steve Cram. Correct. Okay. Wow. I guess John didn't even know who's a runner, probably. I guess he thinks he's just an announcer for the Diamond League. I mean... True story. That's what I thought Tim Hutchings was for a long time. I had no idea how good he was. My apologies, Tim. Damn it, Said. I was looking at this. Said Wida. All right. In my defense, Weldon, Steve Cram was the first man under 330. He did it on July 16th, 1985. And then on August 23rd, 1985, Said Wida ran 329.46 to break the world record. So he wasn't the first, but he was probably the second or the third to do it and was the world record holder right after that. But I should know I should know the three the sub three thirty one. But I feel like John Walker breaking three fifty at least I mean I feel like that was more well known than Cram breaking three thirty. Maybe Robert and I are so old we used to watch like I've no I don't really remember watching them so I'm making this up, but you know like Co and Ovet and those guys racing all the miles back in the day. So they're running like three forty eights all the time and we didn't think much of it. Who knows? All right. One other thought I had about Florence. By the way, I love the meet in Florence. They just have there all the time. Like, why don't we have worlds in that stadium? It's small. It looks packed. And anyways, you know, after the men's five thousand, where thirteen guys broke thirteen flat, and Grant Fisher ran twelve fifty six and was the fifth North American runner to cross the finish line. How crazy is that? I don't know. We talked about the race, but afterwards, I, the last day or two, I've had a few more thoughts. One is this race was really good for Jakob Ingebrigtsen because who, who went one, two in this race? The guys with the best 1500 mile speed, right? Couture, who's a 328 guy and wins it. And then Kajelcha probably would have won it, rolled into a mile record holder if he hadn't had to run in lane three the whole time. Well, Samuel Tefera, who's a two-time world indoor champion and beat Ingebrigtsen in the 1500 last year, was only 12th in this race, Robert. And then the second thought I had was, it's just interesting the dynamic of like what a finish in a Diamond League means versus a world. It's like, so we were raving about Luis Carrillo of Guatemala, right? For finishing third. Is that right? Was it fourth or third? Yes. Th- third in the Diamond League, yes. Yeah. So that would, you know, if you're third in the world, you medal. But the reality is Ingerbridge is not there. So he's down to fourth where he was at Worlds again. Now, admittedly, he runs a 10-second PB. And then there was somebody else that we'd forgotten about, Oscar Cholino, who medaled. Is that Chapter Guy's brother? Am I confused in that genre? I think he might be Jacob Kiplimo's brother. Correct. Yeah, sorry. But anyway, so you know, he mocked him down to fifth. It's just it's a super competitive event with a lot of people. But 
you know, I was just saying, hey, no, Grijalva to me is an amazing story because to me, it's like how many other people in Central America could do this if, if they, you know, were, were given the opportunity to run and could devote years of their lives to running. And that's why I think the college system is so good because it gives, you know, people like, oh, we need more pro groups. I'm like, no, we don't. We have 300 pro groups that are basically giving anyone who's good at running from the years 18 to 22 a, a full ride, a, a chance to develop themselves. And if they're good enough, they can get signed for the pros. So th- there's a lot of talent out there that's just not being discovered. But the other big thing we were talking about was, okay, Grant Fisher, you know, how hard is the medal? He finishes pretty far down in this one. You know, we're like, okay, we still think he's going to make the U.S. team, but he's no longer a 100% lock. I agree with that, but the more I think about it, like, I mean, Clecker didn't even bother to run the 5,000 last year, right, John? He qualified for the 10, even though the 5 was a different weekend. He didn't try out. Is that right? Correct. So, A, we don't even know if he is going to try out. But B, if Clecker he's, tries He said to, he's planning on running both this year. Okay. But I don't expect him to beat these guys. Because the advantage he has in the Diamond League is somebody else is setting the pace for him. When we get to USA's, I think... The, the onus is going to be on Clecker to push the pace. Like, he's going to get out kicked by Woody Kincaid. He's going to get out kicked by Paul Cholimo. He's going to get kicked out by Grant Fisher. Now, Grant Fisher may not want to go totally slow because then you got Abdelham and Nur. So, you know, I guess I guess there's those, those are the big four to me. Nur, I would put Nur ahead of Clecker just because I, I think that a championship style race at the domestic level when no one's really pushing the pace, there's no guarantee it's going to be a 13 minute race. It could, it could easily be a 13 30 race. Well, remember what happened last year, Robert. Fisher got out kicked by Klecker in the 10K, and then he was so worried about getting out kicked in the 5K that they had Evan Jager rabbit the 5K final, essentially, for him. So he wound up breaking everyone, but he didn't trust his kick enough to just kind of let it go tactical. He wanted a fast race. Now, I think if it was, he kicked his way onto the team in 2021 at the Olympic trials, but, but that, it is kind of That's crazy. That's crazy to me that he's worried about his kick against Clucker. He should outkick Clucker. Now, what I remember... Well, Clucker wasn't in that hearing... race. I think he was worried about his kick against... Oh, yeah. The other against, yeah. against, like, no. Abdinor or Chalimo or... I, I don't know. I don't know who he was really worried about, but they figured the best way to get him and Kincaid was on the, te- on the team was to push the pace. And, yeah. I, I mean, in retrospect, it was. That was the safest way to put them on the team, but... You would also think they're good enough to outkick the guys who are in that field. So I'm I'm very interested well, to see how this race goes this year. But I think it's a big five. I think Klecker certainly is in that. You can't just throw him out of the conversation. He's the reigning 10K champ. He just finished right behind Kincaid and Florence. He beat Fisher by more than a second. I'm curious, having now seen almost every you know all these guys apart from Chalimo have run a 5K. Chalimo's in the two mile in Paris on Friday, but. Abdi Noor won the 5K in the LA Grand Prix, 1305 after falling a few weeks ago. And after Florence seeing these three guys go head-to-head, who do you guys have on the team right now in this event, assuming they all run it? Didn't we do this on the Friday 15, John? Yeah, we talked about this on Friday. We made our picks. It's interesting because my brain might pick a different team now, but I think we did. I think Weldon and I both said Fisher, Cholimo, and, and Kincaid. You know, but it wouldn't surprise me nor beat one of those guys. While we're talking about the 5,000, 
Did you guys see what happened after the race? If you're not going to the Let's Run.com forum, you're really missing out because it's discussed at length in the forum. First of all, some people were talking about whether Kip Yagon was clean or not. Famed coach Renata Canova had a lengthy defense several posts of Kip Yagon, which was interesting. And if you're a Supporters Club member, you can follow individual posters. You can be notified when they post. So you'll, if a nugget of wisdom shows up like that, he, you're notified. So, But after the men's race, someone on Instagram, actually, this person's a Let's Run poster. I know this person. Types, no way is Couture clean. And this is what's different about the internet. I mean, back in the day, someone says that to the buddy watching the race. You know, it's just said. Nobody knows about it. Now it's like on the internet permanently. Well, temporarily permanently. Katir says this and says, responds to it. What hurts, friends? While you criticize me, this is normal. It is the nature of men. When there's another man better than them, they envy him. Ask your wife if Katir is handsome or not. Surely your wife would be delighted to be with a winner, not a loser. Fires back. Now, I actually know this guy's wife. She's happily married. I don't think she traded in her husband. But oh, I actually, I like it. Like, firing back. If somebody's calling me a doper, I, I'm going to respond. And actually, the Letterman poster is now deleted that post. So it's worked out fine. People can have their opinions. People can defend themselves. And it's just uh, kind of interesting. Well, Robert, I feel like you have sort of thrown some suspicion towards Katia on this podcast in the past. He made that big improvement in 2021. He was 23 years old. His PRs, he went from 336 to 328 that year in the 1500, 744 to 727 in the 3K and 1350 to 1250 in the 5K. So he made these big jumps in all these events. But he's continued to be one of the top guys in the world since then. He medaled at Worlds last year. He's running. It's not like he's skipping out in these I never said he was a doper. Was I suspicious? Well, first of all, I mean, you don't know. I'm suspicious of unusual jumps in performance, yes. And to be honest, am I much more suspicious of someone born in Morocco than just about any other country? And I know Kenya's racking them in right now in terms of doping positives. The answer is yes. And I'll remember it was probably 15 or 20 years ago in the early days of Let's Run. Somebody emailed us, or maybe I bumped into him at a meet. Young guy. Actually, it might have been that long ago. I think this was more recent. But they had trained like they had gone to like Kenya, Ethiopia. I think they had gone to Ethiopia and Morocco and spent time training. And they said that like in Morocco, it was just wide open. People would put a syringe in their ass right at the track, and nobody would would think but twice about it. This was told to me, but the 25-year-old guy. And I said, well, what's it like in Ethiopia? And they're like, oh, it's just like America. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, this used to happen at Cornell. If somebody was having a great practice and kicking ass at a workout, we'd be like, what'd you do last night? Did you inject yourself with EPO? Like, drugs was viewed as a total joke. Like, of course, no one's on drugs. He said that was the same mindset there. But, so, that's rare. But, yeah, no, the longer he competes and is more consistent he is, it's, you know, racing, the, 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 the more credit I'm going to give him. And like, it's not fair just to give like Cole Hawker had a massive improvement, particularly around the COVID timeframe when people aren't competing. So I love that he's defending himself and maybe it's just unfortunate that, you know, he, you know, 
he had this rapid improvement and sort of this background that makes me more suspicious than normal. But then that, that gets us to Kipie Gun, John. When we were talking about a little bit about the doping with her, you said the only thing that would be suspicious is she's beating records beat by people we, you know, all those East German Chinese records, which we just are almost 100% certain were dope. I, I think there's another category. There's another reason that makes people suspicious. Not me at all, but she's from Kenya. You know, I, and there's just been a lot of positives in that country. But for some reason in my head, I've still given the Kenyans the benefit of the doubt. And I don't, I don't, the Moroccans and, you know. No, I tend to believe in Kip Yagon. And part of that is because all the other women in her event love her. We saw them all mobbed her after the race in Florence. They were all so happy for her. They were celebrating. You would think that if this was a woman who a lot of people in her event, the ones who race her the most, have suspicions about, they wouldn't be so happy to see her break that record. And like you said, Robert, Kenya's in the midst of a major doping crisis. Her coach, Patrick Sang, he does have a great reputation, but we should also mention he has had a couple athletes suspended for doping. Philemon Kacharan last year, Cyrus Ruto a few years ago. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean Kipigon's doing anything, but those were sort of the links. If anyone is going to be suspicious of her, those are the things they would point towards. I think this whole thing just shows how we bring our biases into this. It's one of the worst parts of the sport. But to pretend that people aren't suspicious of stuff is crazy. So, but the whole Morocco thing, it, is, it sort of shows, Robert. That was actually Matt Smith. He lived in Flagstaff for a while. He went to all these places and he said he saw people sticking themselves with needles in Morocco. But is that fair for us to judge Couture by that standard? He's lived in Spain since he was five years old. Meanwhile, yeah. back then, no one was getting popped in Kenya. Well, they're protesting left and right in Kenya. So I can see how some of these people in that, like in our mind, we're like, oh, Morocco dirty. A lot of these young kids now are like, oh, Kenya dirty. And I think everybody's dirty. That's not fair to anyone. And the fact Katir's defending himself, it makes me think way more likely he's clean. He said, post here. there's another post on here. Yesterday, I passed two controls. One was for me in the morning and the other for winning. I feel sorry for you, friend. Maybe we should get this dude on the podcast. Um, and then also it shows me how social media people say, oh, let's run, you know, toxic. There's people here just posting syringes on the Instagram comments. I mean, it, it, it's no different. The, the World Athletics did a study. We should link to this. And it talked about, you know, the online abuse at the Worlds and Olympics and how terrible it was. And one of the things they counted as abuse was doping allegations. I'm like, that's just reality. And it's also interesting how you view this thing. I viewed it as like glass half full. I thought the results of their study showed like all in all, most of the comments are pretty positive. They, they were, were scouring the internet, hired a firm to find stuff. And they found like, I shouldn't quote the numbers, but like a tiny, tiny percentage of the comments were super negative. But you know, this shows they exist. And I like seeing athletes defend themselves. And we've said all along, Every athlete's under suspicion. So when when they speak out and they see something like themselves and descend themselves, that's why we allow people to say, oh, I think so-and-so is dirty. We allow that and let's run. Now, a lot of times it's expressed very crudely, right? Like, Katir's a doper. Really, they're saying, I think Katir dopes. But we've said, look, the athlete then can advocate for themselves and say why they're clean. And I like seeing Katir do this. 
one last thing about Morocco. One thing I heard, and I have no idea if this is true, is where the all train is like at the top of a mountain. So when the doping control is coming, you can see them driving around and going up and up and up. So it's like a tip off that the doping oh control is coming. What? But do okay. they just drive around in cars that have doping control pasted on the side like an ambulance? I think you made that one up. No, anyone has been to Rocco, email me robertletsrun.com if you've heard that as well. So, and that, if that happens, you can just suddenly become clean within forty-five minutes or half an hour. No, you go, you go and hide. Uh, you just get your missed test. And everyone's heard the story about people running jumping fences in Kenya too. I mean, come on, dude. We've all heard crazy stories. We have cell phones now. People need to document this stuff. Okay. Speaking of the Diamond League, I want to talk about this Paris meet because we're not going to be able to really preview it with our traditional written meet preview. We've got the NCAA championships. We're kind of focused on that. But there are these big races coming up and these big record attempts. So I want predictions from you guys. Two mile. Jakob Ingebrigtsen going after the world record that belongs to Daniel Komen. 758-61. Does he get it? To properly assess this, I need some sort of conversion calculator, but I, I don't think I actually need that. The fact that this record attempt was added late to the program, the fact he's going for it means he's going to get it. The fact he's even attempting it to me means he's got this one in his sights. Yes, he's going to get it. I'm with you, Weldon. This is a... It's, it's weird. Like, why else would he run this the week before Oslo, which he's is also being billed as a world record attempt or has been rumored to be a world record attempt. I don't know why you'd add this to the calendar. Well, unless he's getting a bunch of money and they're just saying, you know, hey, we'll promote this as a world record attempt. You just show up and win and we'll get some extra buzz and eyeballs on it. But to me, the fact that he's going for it, that we think he's going for it, so we know he's in pretty good shape. He just won in Rabat. He'll have the pacing lights i assume he has the super shoes yeah i'm gonna say he gets it what is the world record again john 758.61 i mean it's pretty damn fast right if you think about it a 359 mile is about worth a 341 1500 so two 341s is a 7.22 except this is actually a little further of a race. It's two miles, a full two miles instead of 3,200 meters. It's not really a, a, for a race that's not run very often. I don't think it's a soft record. I was going to say he definitely gets it. I agree with y'all's logic, but then I tried to convert it from two miles to 3K. Now, I, I'm not, John Keller's not here, so I used an article. He converted Lucas Rubicus 829 two mile. To, to 751 for 3000 and I figured out what there's a 1.0801 so I use that same number I don't know if that's the same but this converts to 723.1 that's pretty damn fast but I, I feel like he can run four minute pace for a long damn time so I'm going to say yes like this, right. think about it this should be his wheelhouse right yeah I no, I mean it's a tough record but he's a a generational talent. So I could certainly see him getting it. When did Garma run indoors? 723. So yeah, is he the same kind of shape? 
as Goma was then. I don't think that's inconceivable. Speaking of Goma, he's going for the, the world record in a steeplechase. And he's just run 723 indoors. He won the Doha Diamond League 726. This world record is 753-63 by Saif Saeed Shaheen. It stood since 2004. We just saw El Bacali run 756 in Rabat. This is Goma's steeple opener in 2023. Does he get this record? He might. I'm putting the odds less than Ingeperson here. More confident Ingeperson. And it's going to be interesting that if he gets it, he's not even the world champion or Olympic champion. What do you guys think? I'm going to I say think he no. Gets it. I think his chances are better than Ingebrigtsen, actually. I mean, he just seems like he's gone up a level. He ran 758 last year and was doing those from the front. He seems like he's fitter now. If you're looking at uh, Shaheen, his personal best in the flat 3K was only 732. Now, he did run 1248 for 5K, but... I think this record has stood for a long time and people have come close. It really should have been broken, I think, in the 2010s by some of these guys. Brim and Kipruto missed it by 0.01. Consensus Kipruto somehow never broke eight minutes, but you know, I feel like at, at his best, he had the fitness to run well under eight minutes. Ezekiel Camboy, I mean, we, we had these big kickers dominating, but now we've got some a strength guy in Goma. I think... 7.23 for flat 3K. I think you can run 7.52 for the steeple. 7.53 for the steeple. Big picture, this record's meant to go. I mean, there's super spikes these days. Yeah. And, I mean, and guys who weren't, you know, Paul Kowicz, he was consistent, but he's run 7.54. Do I think Germa can run faster than Paul Kowicz? Yes. But also the World Athletics scoring tables? They rank Germa's record above Komen's 720. They rank it above El Garus's 1500 record. No. You mean Saeed Saeed Shaheen's world record? What? You mean Shaheen's world record? You said Gurma. No, I'm talking about Gurma's indoor record. But he's only run 758. He's got to get down to 753. That's taking off a lot. But... I love it that they're going for it, right? Essentially, we had dueling records. And I wonder if, you know, how long was this in the works? I think El Bacali now, Rabat, was, he won the world record. It wasn't billed as such. But he must have known this was going to happen in Paris, and he wasn't welcome. Why wouldn't he be welcome in Paris, though? Just, I mean, they, they raced each other last year. Well, good point. Maybe he thought he'd get the record, so Germa's like, my shot's in Paris. Maybe Germa wasn't welcome in Rabat is a possibility. Possible, but he raced in Rabat last year, and it was one of the races of the year. But, I mean, we do have El Bacali said, afterwards he said he was going for the world record. But he he knows, I think he knows what everyone knows. Germa is insanely fit right now. He's certainly a threat to break the world record. So you want to get it before he does. I can totally understand why he went for it in Rabat, and he's fit enough to run 756. The The record will go this year, I will say that much. And I think we might be under 750 by the end of the year. So maybe I should think this record could go. Are we going to remember Germa, John, just like we remember John Walker? 
as the first man under 750? No, because again, it's the mile and the steeplechase. First man under eight minutes. Do you guys know who it was in the steeple? I mean, this happened when I, I, I remember this happening. I feel like, oh. I wrote an article Moses about this ago. That's correct, Robert. Moses, did you look that yeah. up or did you know that? No, I knew that. That was my, that was that was a barrier to be broken. And you did it without pacemakers at the Zurich Diamond League uh, in 1995. They're actually running. Now, look, look at this. They're running this race next to last. I, I was saying no, but he did run 758 last year when he was only running 730 in the indoor 3000. I was worried it was going to be a little bit hot. I mean, when this meet starts, it's going to be. The meet starts at 9 o'clock there. Is it right? 8 o'clock. Yeah, every Diamond League pretty much starts at 8 o'clock. No, 9 o'clock. The meet goes from 9 to 11 in Paris. Oh, God. weird. All right, one last thing on the Paris meet. The women's 400. Sydney McLaughlin Lavroni, her first outdoor race of the year. She is racing... Marilady Paulino, who just ran 48-98 in LA, silver medalist the last two global championships. She's also racing Salwa Nasser, who ran 48-14 a few years ago. She's coming back from her whereabouts suspension, but she ran 50.27 in LA. So she's kind of on her way back. Who wins this race? SML, Paulino, other? Paulino. No, that's easy. Sydney. I think it's Sydney. If you listen to Bobby Kersey, all his talk is about, you know, he's waiting to race his athletes when they're ready, and he's not going to throw them in when they're not ready. If they're flying her out to Paris to run a 400 meters, and they're not afraid of facing Paulino, I think she's ready to run something very fast. I'm going to say she breaks 49 seconds. I'm going to say she gets the win. If they fire out to Paris, she's ready to run fast. Well, I think Mo's already in Paris. Why isn't she racing them? There's an 800 on the schedule. So your logic doesn't make any sense. She's not entered in the meet. My logic makes perfect sense. Well, you indicated they only fly people if they're ready to go. Well, I think Mo is. No, he only enters them in the race if they're ready to go. Well, that's also defeated by another fact last week because. (laughs) Okay. John's the one that started a message board thread saying, hey, Sidney McLaughlin has entered in the 15... I mean, I'll think Mo has entered in the 1500. That'd be amazing if Sidney McLaughlin was entered in the 1500. I'll think Mo has entered in the 1500 at this music city track carnival in Nashville. And someone texted John's like, she's not racing. And then they interviewed her on the broadcast and they're like, oh, why are you entered? She's like, I didn't know I was entered. And then Paul Doyle, the meat director, who's a friend of the show, but Paul's like, for the record, our thing was never planning on running the race. Someone just entered her in case she decided to run to make it easier. But I'm like, okay, then you as the meat director should not put that on the internet. Well, Paul's, Paul's not the meat director. He's not in charge of the of the Puma Track League, American Track League, which he founded? He's, I mean, he runs the American Track League, but... It's a composition of different meets. Dave Milner is the meet director, another friend of Let'sRun.com. I'm sure Paul has involvement in here, but look, I don't know who added her name to the start list. It seems a little weird. I don't know if it's like a... It seems weird to add someone who wasn't planning on running just in case 
because she was in the house. But yeah, I guess, sorry, I should amend my statement on Bobby Kersey to say he only has his athletes race if they're ready to go. So Sydney McLaughlin, Lavroni, if she's on the start line and, and starts this race in Paris on Friday, which I think she will, I expect her to win and run under 49 seconds. I do not. Talking about the 400 world record is absurd. I think it's less absurd than talking about Thing Mo winning Olympic gold in the 1500. I'd love to know what Bobby Kersey's thoughts were on the Florence Diamond League in that 1500 meters if he still thinks double gold is on the table for Mo next year. You guys know what Sidney McLaughlin Maroney's personal best in the 400 is? 50.07. That's all you need to know. What do you mean that's all you need to know? She ran that when she was a freshman in college. Now she's a 50 point. She's run 50.68 for the hurdles. The hurdles are very short. They don't slow her down very much. Which Do you agree with this statement, John? It's more likely that a thing Mo wins the 400 gold medal than Sidney McLaughlin or Voni breaks the 400 meter world record. That's a good one. I think the world record's more likely. I just, we don't know what Sydney's capable of in the 400. We haven't seen it yet. She's been training exclusively as a hurdler, as a pro. She split 47 high in the relay last year. I know a relay split, you know, you got to add some time to that. But Mo, I'm not even confident she'll be running the 400 next year because it doesn't sound like Bobby Kersey's going to let her. Why? Because she's afraid she's going to beat Sydney. I think the McLaughlin Lavroni's 400 meter potential is still kind of unknown at this point. That's why I'm so interested to see what she does in this race. But I don't know. She's one of the most talented athletes we've ever had in this sport. I think she can run well under 49 seconds. Well, record, that's going to be tough. But I mean, yeah, guys, I can't wait the, for this race. Guys, the Diamond League in Florence, second place, 50.75. Sydney can hurdle faster than that. The next time they have the, like a, a diamond league with spare 400 meter runners in it, you know, breaking 50 is going to be hard. They should have Sydney. They should put hurdles and let Sydney race them straight up. So if she doesn't go below, for below 49, I'll be disappointed. I'm expecting at least 49 low. And podcast listeners, are you looking to watch the diamond league for free? All you need is a VPN, and you can watch it on the World Athletics YouTube page. Use the VPN that we use at Let'sRun.com. Go to Let'sRun.com slash VPN. Click on the link. Sign up. There's a three, free 30-day 30 30 money-back guarantee, and you'll we'll get a little bit of money as well. So do that today. All right, back to this all-thing Mo race, John. Her being on the short list got you to watch it. And in the end, it was worth it because you saw a historic run by Addie Wiley. This is the 19-year-old who turned down a scholarship. Last year, she was fifth at World Juniors. She set the U.S. high school record in the 1600. Turned down a scholarship to Colorado to remain at home and go to Huntington University, an NAIA school. And she blows these pros away, runs 403, which is the fastest time ever run by an American teenager. Faster than Mary Kane, faster than Alexa Frameson. Although maybe I should mention those names because both those girls never ran faster than what they ran as teenagers. But incredibly impressive, 61 last lap. 
And I really don't think there was. You have to consider her a threat now for the U.S. 1,500-meter team. I mean, she's got the standard. She's got a good close. You know, Sinclair Johnson hasn't raced in a while. I, I don't think ultimately Addie Wiley will make the team, but I think that it was incredibly impressive. me realize how few of these women are racing this year like heather mclean's been invisible outdoors sinclair johnson has run one road mile you know if the if both of them aren't going to be at usa's i think johnson will be i'm not sure about what mclean's status is we know ellie st pierre's not going to be there you've she'd still have to be joseph andrews Corey mcgee nikki hiltz which i don't think wiley will but the number of contenders has dwindled a bit in that event, it looks like. So it's pretty interesting to see. And the, I mean, it's not just teenagers she's running faster than. The all-time NCAA list in the 1,500 meters, Jenny Simpson's number one, 359.90, which she ran in her fourth year at Colorado. Then there's a huge gap. Number two is Sinclair Johnson, Oklahoma State, 405.98. Addie Wiley... Just ran 403. She's not in the NCAA, but she's run more than two seconds faster than any collegian not named Jenny Simpson. And she's done it as a true freshman. It was just, I'm blown away how quickly she ran in this race. This performance is amazing. I guess Mary Kane was essentially this fast at a younger age pre super shoes. But the yeah, Mary Kane ran 404 at age 17 and made the world championship final in 2013. And that was after her junior year in high school. You know, but the difference was better, Mary Kane was running in the wrong direction. This woman's going in the right direction. Obviously, good point. Yeah, obviously, Kane's performance was better. But in that 405 to 359 stat, John's amazing. I mean, she's run. Did it, and like we, everyone focused on Kate Wintuli. Oh, what a phenom. What a phenom. Addie Wiley is a year and a half younger than Kate Wintui, and she's faster now. But the thing that's different about Addie Wiley is everything surrounding her. The Huntington University scandal. I don't think we have time to rehash this whole thing. But the coach there, Nick Johnson. Nick Johnson. Do you want to take it, Robert? Because... Sure. I mean, this has been ongoing. To be honest, I was kind of hoping Addie Wiley would not end up being a great runner. So we wouldn't have to talk about it. It's messy. I've been behind the scenes talking to everybody off the record from the FBI to the Addie Wiley herself. But I don't know. Nick Johnson is now, he used to be the coach at Huntington. He was Lauren Johnson's husband. Lauren Johnson made the world championship team for the U.S. in the 1500, was part of the Oregon Track Club. It's my understanding she was abruptly dismissed from the team. But Nick Johnson was charged with a crime, was convicted of a felony for when he was coaching at Huntington. He impersonated, he acted like he was an Oregon coach, wrote a girl's mother, top recruit, and said, Hey, can she come on a recruiting trip? Takes the minor across state lines. They also had some sex charges. He was not convicted of the sex charges, he was convicted of the felony impersonation of somebody else. So he was fired and banned for life from safe sport. His wife, was, who did not divorce him, was promoted to be the coach. But then this summer, David Woods, or this fall, 
comes out with much more like comes out that Nick Wood, Nick Johnson admitted to sleeping with several athletes on the Huntington team. And they allege, many of them have alleged it, it was not consensual. So he was never criminally charged with rape. He's been civilly charged on those counts. Um, they've also then added that, that he was injecting them with PED with it, with, with, with stuff. He's admitted to injecting them. They say it was PEDs. We don't know what it was. So it's just a messy, messy situation. Yeah, the sexual stuff would be just messy on its own. But when the doping allegations to the husband of the woman who was her coach are there, then doping is so closely linked to this, people are going to think, well, is she clean? Right. Um, People are going to question that because of her association. Lauren Johnson, we got to remember, Lauren Johnson was coaching her in high school, helped pace her to the high school 1,600-meter record. She's the reason why Addie Wiley reneged on her commitment to Colorado to go to Huntington in the first place because Lauren Johnson was the coach last fall until she was placed on leave after the David Wood story came out. So there is a connection there. We don't know. We don't know like the performance enhancing drugs. The athletes who were claiming they were injected, they don't even know what it was, but they're suspicious of Nick Johnson. It, it is a very messy situation, Robert, as you said. Yeah, we think the Katir thing is bad. This is like five times worse and more reason for suspicion, but it's unfair. Like, she's a 19-year-old. I guess you're a legal adult, but running these times, like, this would be the coolest, one of the coolest stories, but a lot of people clearly don't believe it, you know? And I'm not really sure what Johnson was fired for. Lauren was, I guess, for not turning in her husband because she's probably saw some. It's interesting how you view it. Is do you view Johnson as a victim of her own husband, or do you view her as a neighbor of him? It's kind of messy. But moving forward, I was thinking about this very clearly. I would. Oh well, I don't know if the shoe companies know all the details that I've heard, and we don't really know who's coaching at him now. I mean, the the the, the rumor is that Warren is still coaching her behind the scenes. But regardless, this proves to me you, you can run well no matter where you go to school. I mean, whether it's some no-name you ever heard of anything coaching her, whether it's Warren Johnson who's never coached anyone of note before, she, she's running, you know, damn well. And I don't know, this is kind of a sad story to me. This certainly isn't the first time that someone has excelled being, particularly a female hasn't excelled being, coached by a psychopath, whether it's Alberto Salazar, Nick Johnson, uh, John Babington. We, we, we just History keeps repeating itself, sadly, over and over and over. But moving forward to me, it's very clear to me. If I was a shoe company, obviously this girl's going to have offers. I, I, well, I put a lot of stuff in there about drug testing. I, I might even do my own drug testing. But I would say you, you have to – here's your contract. But you're leaving. You're, you're leaving Huntington University. You're leaving the area. You're coming to our, our group, and you can have no association with these people anymore. Okay, can we talk about something more exciting? I mean, as good as Addie Wiley is at 19, I don't think she's going to be as good as Cole Hawker was at 20. I mean, Cole Hawker's back, baby. This guy had not raced since, what, January? Shows up at the Portland Track Festival, is running in the back of the pack, hoping to break 339, and then he just, Cole Hawker, the bell goes off, and he's reminded that he's one of the greatest talents in American history. Just blows everybody away, except for the winner. Ends up second. Hey, gets the world championship standard, which is good. 334 or something. And 
post-race was really excited. He said, I've only worn spikes three times this year. The goal was the same, to win USA's and win the world championship. So if we were excited, this remember this guy used to own year at Nagusa College. It's going to be, a, if, he's, if he can stay healthy, you know, he's another name to add to the mix. So amazing, Ryan. And it's hard to, John, I think you were the one that realized this. Cole Hawker was younger in Tokyo when he got sixth in the Olympics than Hops Kessler is now. That's how talented this guy is. Yeah, I'd love to see this race. On that last lap, he passed 12, 10 guys, 12th to second, closed in 54. And I was like, oh, that's that's the 2021 version of Cole Hawker I saw. And that's really exciting because the 2021 version of Cole Hawker was absolutely sensational. And as someone who on this podcast earlier this year predicted Cole Hawker would win a medal at the 2023 World Championships in the 1500, I was starting to get worried. He hadn't raced since January. Is he going to be healthy when he comes back? He pulled out of the LA meet. Well, my goodness. He ran 334 and he said after the race that he was just hoping to break 339. So he's further ahead of where we thought he would be or where he thought he would be. His kick's still there. That's the thing that really separated him back in 2021 that made him so good. Now, there are a lot of really good guys in the 1500 meters right now. There are a lot of good Americans. Making the team is not going to be easy, but I was very optimistic after what I saw. And like you said, Robert, staying healthy is going to be the key. If he can get another month of training between now and USA's, that kick, I mean, does anyone in the United States have a better one? Maybe Nagus. But I feel like Kupatia was not as good a closer as Cole Hawker. Hobbs Kessler, TBD. I don't know. I'd be really worried if I have Cole Hawker on my shoulder in the USA final. So very encouraging run. Let's hope he can stay healthy for the rest of the season because that's what derailed him in 2022. And by the way, happy birthday, Cole. He's 22 today. I had a rare mistake in my week that was. I said it was yesterday because I think when I went to tell a shop shit, it was already today in Europe with it based. June 6th, 2001. So he's left the 21-year-old ranks, but there is another 1,500-meter runner from America. Some say 5,000 runner. Some say cross-country star who is still 21. I think she's only 21 in 20 days. Is that right? 21 in 80 days, excuse me. Caitlin Tuey of NC State. She will be the big, she and Britton Wilson are going to be the two people John and I are most focused on when we head down to one of the great cities of the country, United Austin, Texas, to watch NCAAs this weekend. John, I know you're working on a story here on Caitlin. What we believe is going to be her final NCA tra- track competition. Some people think she's going to go back for cross country and then go pro. I don't think we're going to see her on track next year. You've been doing the research. Has anyone ever won the 15 and the five at the same NCAs? It has happened once. Sheila Reed of Villanova did it back in 2011. Now, granted, it's a little different in that they were on different days. If Caitlin Tui is going to do it at NCAAs this year, she's going to have to win the 1500 meter final at 
8 12 p.m central on saturday and then she's gonna have to come back for the 5k final at 9 55 p.m on central so it'll be a same day double which will be very tough there have been some other women also who have won the 1500 and the 3k at the same ncaa outdoor championships that they used to run the 3k until about 2000 and then they stopped kathy branter of wisconsin did that in 1985 and claire eichner of wisconsin did that in 1993 so, yeah, double champion in the 15 and the 5 or 15, 3K, very rare. The other thing, I mean, there's a lot at stake because, Robert, I was spent all morning trying to figure out, has any woman ever won five NCAA distance titles in the same school year? The answer is no. Claire Agner, Wisconsin, won four. Amy Skires of Arizona in 1997 won four. And Sally Kipiego of Texas Tech in 2007, also won four. If Caitlin Tui wins the 15 and five, that would give her five for the 2022-23 school year because she won in cross country. She won the 3K and 5K indoors. She also set collegiate records in the mile and 3K indoors. She set one in the outdoor 5K. I mean, if she pulls this off, it's going to be two things. It's probably going to be the greatest distance feat ever by a woman at the NCAA Outdoor Championships in terms of a double. It's also going to be the kappa to the greatest campaign ever by a collegiate distance runner on the women's side. So history is at stake in Austin, Texas. So John, of the 15 and the five, which one do you think she has a tougher problem with? Because I'm kind of surprised this hasn't been done before or only once in modern times. Yeah, the the women's meet doesn't have the lengthy history that the men's has, but it's been around since the early 80s, so it is kind of surprising it hasn't happened. I mean, recent the recent years, the finals have been on the same day, so athletes generally don't enter both. I think it's interesting, though, Weldon, because a few about a month ago, I was fairly confident she'd win both. I was just like, she's so much fitter than everyone else, this isn't going to be an issue. But then two things happened. The West Regional... Everyone went nuts. You had five women run 408. Caitlin Tui, her PB is 406 from last year, but her season's best is 408. So suddenly she's got a lot more people who could be in contention in that race. And then the 5,000, Parker Valby, who was her best challenger in cross country, she's healthy enough now that she's running. She won the SEC title. She's back. So... She's got serious competition there. I think the 1500 will probably be tougher for her to win. I think she's just, I think she has the best kick in the 5K pretty easily. And I do think that's enough time for her to recover in between for her to use it. So I feel better about her chances in the 5, 5K. The 1500, I mean, if all these women just ran 408, who's to say that one of them can't run one or two seconds faster in NCAAs? I don't know what kind of race it's going to be, but I think she just has more competition and shes I view her as a, as a more dominant 5K runner than in the 15. Yeah, but for the 15, she's fresh. I think she wins the 15. They're all coming in with the same amount of tiredness. She's, what, two seconds faster than everybody right now? Three? Two. I don't see her losing. 
I don't think I see her losing the 5K either. I think she's going to pull it off. I don't think she's going to win both. I I mean, I love that she's trying it. It's really awesome. It's really exciting. But I've seen too many NCAA meets where we have these people who we just assume are heavy favorites and then they show up and the last go-round and they get beat. I mean, maybe maybe I'm biased here because I'm thinking of Abby Cooper, then Abby D'Agostino at Dartmouth. Her final NCAAs in 2014, she just stomped on everyone the entire year. She shows up in the 5K. It's just a foregone conclusion. She's going to win, and then she gets third. Marielle Hall beats her. So it's a challenging double to pull off. It's going to be pretty hot and humid in Austin. If you look at the forecast for Saturday right now, high of 98 degrees. Um, you know, this meet's going to be later in the evening, but that's a pretty grueling day to run a, what will probably be a top 1500 final and then come back in the 5K. I think there's enough talent between the two races that someone will get her. But I love that she's trying it. Ooh, the heat, John. Might make me want to reassess. Because 98, it hasn't been that hot in Texas. You know, it's been the upper 80s most days. Because I checked the weather there. My parents live in Austin. But 98, and that means it'll still be like 90 at race time or something. It's going to make it a lot harder. At 10 p.m.? If it's 98 at 5, I bet you it's still 88, 90 at 10 p.m. But Dark Sky doesn't exist anymore, so how am I supposed to figure this out? Dark Sky's been absorbed by Apple Weather. I've got the projection on there right now. It says it's going to be in the mid-80s at 10 p.m. on Saturday, June 10th. Which she's not going to have any trouble with the 1500. I just, while you were mouthing off, looked up these 408 girls. Now, a lot of them were getting destroyed at the Pac-12 meets. Like, if you're fourth at Pac-12s, you're not taking down Caitlin Tui. So, you know, the winner of the Pac-12 meet, well, who has... Of, all five of them are from the Pac-12. So when you have four, five 408 girls in the same conference, one of them's going to get fourth at the conference meet. Fair enough. The winner, the fastest one of regionals was Sophie O'Sullivan, Sonia O'Sullivan, former great Irish runner's daughter, who has almost no NCAA experience. She ran the DMR indoors, and they did terrible. So... I don't think you're getting fourth at Pac-12s and then winning. Simon Plourd, P-L-O-U-R-D-E of Utah. Simone. The, Simone, excuse me. Shalane, Shalane, or whatever. Flanagan, Flanagan. She's the Pac-12 champion, but this is her first NCAA outdoors. She was fourth in the 3,000 indoors. She has run 205 for 800. I think she'd be the one that would beat her. I think two is going to win the 1,500. And I, I just, I'm going back and forth on the 5,000. Is it hot and Volby just beats her? Or does Tui just like, nope, she's, she's, caught, she's caught vanquished the NCA. And I, I kind of feel like you, John, we, we've seen it a lot where people don't get the storybook ending. Cheserick didn't. Dagasino didn't. I'm going to say Volby. Volby right. wins the 5,000. I mean, I could see that happening. Like, let's see. Let's say the 1500, it comes down to the wire, Tui has to kick for it. And then Volby, in the, running the 5K fresh, in really brutal conditions, she's just like, I'm just going to make this as hard as possible. And I'm going to try to run 15 lows. And if Tui can still hang on to that, I think Tui will probably be able to outkick her. But if she can, she still can hang on to that in 80 degree weather with humidity with a 1500 in her legs. 
maybe not. You know, that's hard. So actually, maybe I'm reverse. I don't know which ones she's more likely to win, but this is why it's so exciting because it's one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen at the NCAA level, challenging herself, trying to do something no one's done before, which is win both on the same day, win five in the same school year. It's awesome. Can't wait to see it. And then we got Britton Wilson in the 400-400 hurdles, which is going to be amazing. I am super pumped for this men's 1500. I mean, there's so many guys that could win it. That's going to be amazing. It's one of the best meets of the year. Be sure to come to Let's Run Every Day. We'll be recapping it from Austin. All right, so aside from Tui, you know, we've got the traditional 5K, 10Ks. We've got a men, the men's steeple, I think, is going to be terrific at this meet. We've got two of the fastest collegians ever. We're going to bring in intern Alex, who has previewed the men's long-distance events at NCAAs. Alex, what are you most excited for at this meet? I think I would agree with you, John. The men's steeple chase is probably the event that I'm most excited for in terms of the long-distance events. Um, I think both um, Duncan Hamilton and Kenneth Brooks have a shot at the world standard, which is 8.15, only one and two seconds off their PRs. And I think, I mean, a greater goal for them, they have a shot at the NCAA collegiate, um, the NCAA meet record, not collegiate record, sorry, of 8.12.39. Yeah, what we see at NCAAs in the steeple is usually these guys have kind of been doing their own thing the whole regular season, and they all get together and they run faster than they have been. We saw it last year with Ahmed Jaziri winning at 818. We had three guys run 818 in the NCAA final, which currently that's you know third and oh, sorry fourth and fifth, fourth, fifth, and sixth on the NCAA all time list. Then we just had Duncan Hamilton. Montana State, the guy who was second last year, he ran 8.16 at the regionals, which is number two all-time behind Rono. So, yeah, I think this race is going to be fast. That's how Hamilton likes to run it. And he's got a big rival here in Rook. So it's going to be one of the better steeples we've ever had at the NCAA level. Both of those guys are threats to make the U.S. team. Now that Hillary Bohr has broken his foot, do you have a favorite? Like, between the two, who are you picking? Maybe this is just because I watched Kenneth Rooks race Hillary Bohr in California, but I think I'm going to go with Rooks. He he closed really hard in that race. He just looked phenomenal. I know Hamilton ran faster, um, and he did it more recently, but Rooks hasn't lost a steeplechase in his last five races. I think I'm going to go with Rooks. One thing I want to say about this race is last year at NCAAs, Hamilton was obsessed with hitting the standard. Like I remember talking to a coach and they're like, I know what's going to happen in the final. He's going to push the pace. And he seemed more into like hitting the standard than winning the race, which really bothered me. Like the good thing is, well, at least I hope he knows this is like he's 13th on the world. Like he's in the world. He doesn't need the standard. He's on the world ranking criteria. He's like 13th. He's way up there. So focus on winning the goddamn race. Don't focus on the time. Win this thing. But he likes to run from the front anyway, Robert. He, I mean, he just ran 8.16 at regionals when he absolutely did not have to run that fast. So to me, that just shows he's supremely fit and he's supremely confident. I'm going with Hamilton in this thing. I think 8.16 was a breakthrough, but we could something see something crazy fast uh, if he really unleashes either here at USA. So he's only 22 years old. 
I think he's he's your winner. Maybe he was being smart and raising that time just to get his world ranking up because the 816 gave him 1184 points. And he was smart. I guess last year after Worlds, he did go to the NACAT championships. Second place, 831, making a ton of bonus points. So that's actually his best world ranking points to win the – actually to finish second in the NACAC. Oh, there's one other race can we say about NCAAs before we get to the great Niels Loris interview. The women's 800. I, I previewed that one. Um, Rosine Willis, the, the world junior champion, the NCAA indoor champion, has a run. I think she's only finished 1-800 outdoors, but she and Michaela Rose of LSU. I just, I, I can't wait to see that. I'm actually thinking Rose is going to take her down. Like, I, I think Rose could, what's most collegiate record, John? 157. That wouldn't shock me from Rose. I was I went back and watched her 159.08. I mean, she hit 600 and 125 and just blew up. But I also think that does make her a little bit vulnerable. But I'd be st- if she if she, if she gets it right, I'd be stunned if she doesn't run 158. Well, if we're going there, Raven Rogers got beat at the Portland Track Festival this week by Nia Akins. I think Mo hasn't raced this year. At some point, no, you can't really have any worry for a thing, Mo, right? Well, she's into worlds, I guess, so it doesn't really matter. And I guess that makes it easier to make the team. But any worry yet for Raven Rogers, guys, making the team? A small one. She, if you look at what she did a couple years ago, she opened up similarly, or she ran similarly at the Portland Track Festival. She got beaten. She ran 159.6 as opposed to 2 flat point two. And, oh, sorry, 159.7. She was sixth in that race. And she ends up as the Olympic bronze medalist with a 156 in the Olympic final. So she's gotten it done enough and consistently shows up in the biggest meets. So I would still pick her on the team, but it was strange, very strange, to see someone running Raven Rogers down over the final 100. Like, Nia Aikens made two inside passes in the final 100 meters of this race to win. Raven Rogers owns the final 100. You never see her pass. So that would be a little concerning, but she's delivered too many times on the big stages for me to doubt her, so I still would put her on the team. You would like 80 to go, it looked like vintage... Raven Rogers. She looked like she was powering away and then it it didn't keep going. And then Nia just came by her and I'm like, oh, that was a little bit different. Yeah, the 800, I mean, there's a lot of good women's 800 runners. Sage Hardeklecker was third in the Diamond League final. We just saw her run in the Diamond League. She didn't run super fast, but she finished highly. You've got these collegians. RJ Wilson's still around. Nia Aikens won the USA Indoors. She's having a great season. I mean, even with that extra spot with Mo having the bye, it's still not going to be easy to make that team. All right, guys. Coming up next, Niels Loros, the Dutch 18-year-old sensation. 146 and 1323. And 338. Eight. Wow. 
And we can thank intern Alex for this one. Intern Alex wants more interviews. We want feedback as well. Email us podcast at Let's Run. You can always call us one eight seven seven Let's Run. He's like, guys, you need more guests, and he booked Niels Loris himself. So the gauntlet has been laid down. Tell us who you want it on the podcast. But here is Niels Loros. And one last thing for supporters club members. Since Alex already saw me meltdown behind the scenes, he's probably tape recorded and has already put it up on Instagram or something. Well, then go ahead. For the supporters club members, after the Niels interview, you can put my my Bill O'Reilly type rant when I yell, this is my, my podcast, when y'all censored me. Just go ahead and do it. I don't want Alex holding this over me, blackmailing me for the rest of my life. At least Alex is seeing some passion for me. At least you guys are trying to censor me. We're just looking out for you, Robert. We care for you. John, let's rank that meltdown out of 10. For Robert's standards, that was probably about uh, eight, seven and a half. Whoa, I was going to go 12, but maybe I'm just a little sensitive because Alex. No, come on. We've seen him. We've seen worse. He's stormed off mid podcast. He's reached louder volume and is yelling. He got back to things pretty quickly. No, that that was I've seen much much better from Robert. Maybe I'm maybe Robert's on to something. Maybe I'm just getting soft. Squelching discussions. <laughs> Telling him to shut up. All right. Here's Niels. All right, we are pleased to be joined by a very special guest, Niels Laros of the Netherlands. Weekend before last our just 40 days after his 18th birthday, he ran a huge 5,000 personal best of 13.2301. Yes, 13.2301 at age 18. That's far from his from the first result, though, to turn heads. As an under-18 athlete last summer, Laros made ways by winning double European gold in the 1,500 and 3,000 and racking up under-18 PBs of 3.39.46 and 7.48.25, faster than what Jakob Bigenbridge ran as an under-18 athlete. Um, this weekend, he lowered his 1,500-meter PB to 3.38. If Loris was an American, he'd hold the U.S. high school records at 1,500, 3,000, 5,000. We're not sure about the 800. He'd probably be 0.05 off because his 146.3 is a hand time, and the, new, the national record in the U.S. is 146.45. So, Niels, we're going to have to bump that up to 146.5. He wouldn't have all of our records, just all but one. Um, but thanks for joining us. I was pleased to find out that uh, you've, you've listened to the podcast before, so welcome. You may be the first guest in history that's younger than the website. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. There's so much to talk about. We don't have a lot of time. Alex and I were trying to figure out where to start. Um, you know, you've got a, a wide variety of, of personal best. Like, I guess what I want to start is, what are you? What is your event? When you think of yourself, you're, I'm Neil Thoros. I am a 5K runner. I'm a miler. I'm an 800 guy. What are you? Uh, I think I'm an 800 to 5,000 guy. I, uh, I like all distances. And uh, yeah, I'm going to do them all again this season. Um, so yeah, we'll see what rolls out of it. Well, great. So Back when I was coaching, I used to coach in the, in the collegiate ranks here in the, in the U.S., and I always thought it was important for athletes to have a goal. So at the beginning of the year, did you sit down with your coach or your dad and, and sort of come up with a goal? Like, what what is your goal for 2023? 
at the at the start of the year, I actually didn't expect to be racing so fast again. Um, I didn't. I yeah, I had a bit of. Uh, I was behind on training for like two two and a half months because I was sick. Um, but yeah, my coach did some magic, and uh, we managed to race again pretty soon. Um, so at the at the start, I I didn't have a goal. I just wanted to be racing again. But now, uh, the goal has been set on uh, European on the twenties. And do you know what event you'll be running there? Uh, no, not not yet. Maybe all. Yeah. Okay. So. Um... I was wondering, what is your setup like in America? Most, you know, it's it's a pretty standard setup. For everybody, we have athletics through the mm -hmm. schools, you know, through high school. Most people are on their high school team. Some people sort of have an outside coach, but they're running. There's a big system of meets that everybody goes to. Then they generally go on to the collegiate ranks. You know, you uh, went professional and signed with Nike last year, but who do you and you did some winter training in Flagstaff, I understand. So, do you go to school? Or are you out of school? Like. Who do you train with? Who's your coach? Who are your training partners? Take us to that. Um, yeah, I'm, first of all, I'm still in high school, um, and yeah, I started just with a local at the local club in my hometown um, with my old coach, uh, and he brought me to a pretty good level, three forty four and fifteen hundred. And then last year, I switched to Thomas Leondowski. Uh, you might know him, coach of uh, his brother and. Uh, had many international medals, so he's uh, the mastermind, I would say. Um, and um, yeah, of course, I've been guided by Global Sports, the management. Um, and yeah, I train with with quite a big group with uh, some Danish, Norwegian, and Dutch guys. Uh, pretty international already um, at at Sports Centrum uh, Papendal in the Netherlands. So. Very good environment, uh, and yeah, we go we go on camps. We went to Flagstaff and Fontremeu uh, this winter, so I would say pretty happy with the setup I have here. So do you do you go to school remotely, or how does that work? Uh, yeah, I split my last year in uh, two years, so I have half of the subjects, so that allows me to to go on camps. And how do your how do the guys in the team? treat you or, or do they treat you kind of like the little brother they i don't know like what's the dynamic like what what age are most of them uh we've we've got also some other young guys but i'm uh, i'm the youngest but um we've got some guys from 19 20 years um the oldest is 26 um so we have quite a big spectrum um and yeah we can learn a lot from each other all right, let's go back to the beginning. I, I used to, you know, when I was recruiting high schoolers and we call them on the phone, I always said, started with the same question, like running's not the most popular of sports. Like, how did you get started? I mean, I know you come from a running family. Your dad, Marcel, was a mm -hmm. 330, 339, 751 runner who uh, won the World University Games uh, steeplechase silver medal, 821 steeple PB. And I think your mom also was, was in the sport. So is that how you got in? Like, how old were you when you started uh, yeah, that's why I started, and and my older brother also ran. Uh, so I think I started around the age of six. I just uh, went to do track and field, and yeah, I think till the age of around eleven, twelve, I did uh, all events, so high jump, long jump, whatever. 
Um, and then I started to gradually um, run more and more. And uh, yeah, I found out I really liked it and I'm good at it. So, so it builds on itself. So what's your training like now? I'm not a big Strava stalker, but somebody on the message board been a couple of message board threads on you. By the way, I apologize. A lot of them went off on tangents. I don't know if you've read them. People were talking about, not even you, they were talking about doping and all this other stuff. But um, someone wrote that from Strava, maybe this was last year though, it says it looks like he only runs about 50 kilometers per week, not many hard sessions. Um, is that still the case? Are you still running that low volume or what's your volume at? And what would a, what a typical tr- training week be like for you? Um. When I'm at home, I do like 60, 70K. Um, I have one rest day a week and um, yeah, I do threshold and uh, some track stuff in the summer. And at camps, obviously the volume is higher, um, almost double uh, sometimes. Um, so not a lot of volume, but still uh, still pretty okay. I think we, we build it up gradually. Um, and yeah, I'm in good hands with my coach. So what's the, what's the most you've ever run in a week? Sorry? What's the most you've ever run in a week? Most kilometers? Um, I think about 130. Maybe the long run was a bit, bit too long, but um, around that. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I, I know you've signed with Nike, so I guess that means you're not coming to, to the NCAA for college. I'll get back into college coaching if I can have you be on my team. I think we could do some good things. But your dad did do the collegiate system. I was wondering, I mean, to me, it's a wonderful system because there's such a big gap between being really good, even where you are right now, like 1323 is damn good for someone who's 18. But to be competitive on the Diamond League circle, I mean, we just had 13 guys break 13 minutes in the same race. So did, did you ever consider the, the collegiate system or coaches reaching out to you? What, what made you go professional? Uh, yeah, I've, I've thought about it. I've talked to some coaches, uh, as well. Um, but, uh, last year the opportunity came to, to move here to Papenol and to train under Thomas. Um, and yeah, I really liked it. Uh, it's close to home uh nice as well um and yeah yeah i believe this setup is is uh going to work out for me so is everybody in the group a nike athlete or or, or is it you know can you be with any any sponsor uh some of them not not yeah. everyone so do you live on your own there you said it's away from home how far away is it from your house and did your family follow you or are you there kind of on your own like a college freshman or something uh no i'm on my own here it's about uh, one hour 15 from home so it's uh, still pretty close and when you get out of high school do you think you'll keep like studying remotely for college or just focus on the running uh, I'm not sure yet I might do just uh, study on the side um, but yeah we'll see next year so you know you've, you've grown up you were born actually you know the internet was a thing cell phones were a thing so People, on the message board thread, some people were were talking about some of your celebrations. I mean, when you were winning these European titles, you were you were pretty far ahead, so you had time to celebrate. Let's put it that way. But it got me to thinking. People were saying who you were imitating. Did you have an idol growing up? Did you watch YouTube videos of other runners? Like who? Like did, who? Who inspired you? 
Uh, yeah, watched watch a lot of athletics. Um, but yeah, uh, Centrovic, of course, is a big inspiration. And now uh, Elliot Kipchoge. Um, so yeah, yeah, I really like the sport. So in general, I watch all the races and just be a fan of the sport. Well, those are two good idols. So you're really not limiting yourself to any event because you've got a 1500 Olympic champion and a, and a marathon Olympic champion. So, you know, but that was something that somebody, somebody was pointing out is I, I think there was a generation of runners who kind of grew up thinking, you know, European and American runners thinking I can't compete with the Africans when, you know, you're 2016. I mean, you were what, 11 years old, Matthew Sintrowitz wins the Olympic gold medal. So, have you always sort of dreamed that just, I mean, thought that anything's possible? Like, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess it is now. If you look at the, at the, the top in 1500 and 5k, it's, uh, getting closer and closer, I would say. Uh, so there's obviously, uh, those guys inspire me to be also at that level in the future. And how do you feel about like some of the comparisons? I mean, when you won the two two gold medals last summer, some people were, you know, saying the next Ingebrigtsen and blah blah blah, and comparing your times, you know, to his. I think you broke his records. Mm-hmm. Like, do you like that, or does that put a lot of pressure on you? Or what do you think about that? Uh, it's uh, it's good to be compared to someone who is who is that good now. Uh, but of course, I follow my own path, and uh, I will keep doing that. It's kind of interesting because you ran faster as an under-18 athlete, but, but but the year he was 17 before he turned 18, so he wasn't eligible for under-18. He did run 331 and, and 13-17, so you got a ways to go to catch, particularly that 1,500 one. But your your 800 PB is already better than his PB, so um, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's just amazing how quickly you've developed because I was reading an interview, I think from – two years ago maybe it was three and you were saying oh, i'm hoping to beat my dad's pr someday and now you've already blown your dad's prs you know out of the water so it looks like you went from four flat in 2020 to 330 to 344 in 2021 and then 339 last year and then 338 this year so is that just been a natural thing you've been running a little bit more every year and your body's just developing or has there been some key to the to the huge you know breakthroughs uh no yeah just in uh the gradual build-up um training a bit more every year and having a bit more experience i guess yeah and what would you describe the training philosophy as like of your coach i mean does he how would he describe it uh of course most of it is uh is the secret so i won't tell that but um yeah it's um I guess the team team part is a big role, um, and yeah, um, the little magic of him. Great, Alex, you're the one that set up the interview. Do you have any questions for him? Yeah, I mean, as a 18 year old, and you're racing against the professionals, do you ever like look across the line before the race starts, or or, or you ever look before the race starts and like thinking like. Did you ever think that you were going to be this young racing this caliber of athletes? Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool to be honest. But um, yeah, like last weekend, I beat some some good guys, and uh, I'm I'm racing some of the best in Europe. That feels 
feels good at this age. Um, but yeah, I want more than that. Is it difficult for you to to like get into these races? I know you raced last weekend in Hangalo, which is a World Athletics Continental Gold Level meeting, which is like a not Diamond League, but it's like a t- top top meeting in Europe. Is it like difficult for you to get into these meetings or? Um, yeah, my my coach arranges my um, uh, like my racing program and uh, my manager um, Global Sports. They um, they arrange me to to be on the start list, um, and I think they're doing a pretty good job. Uh, if you look at the races I've ran this year already, and also last year I did some continental tours, uh, so I think that's the start. Um, and in the future, uh, we're going for more. Do you have any races, like any um, other professional races, you know, scheduled for this summer? What's next up on tap for you? Um, yeah, I'll do some two races uh, next two weeks. Um, and then um, I will do the final preparation for Europeans on the 20s. And when is that? When and where is that? Uh, in August in Jerusalem again. Okay. And, you know, you know, we, we can be talking to each other over the internet, seeing each other, you know, thanks to technology. Do you pay attention to other teenagers? I mean, Leo and Lex Young in America, the, the, everybody in, basically at Newberry Park High School has quite, got quite a following here. Have, do you pay attention to the other teenagers? Do you know who they are? Um, Solomon Brothers, the Young Brothers? Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm a fan of the sport, so I've obviously seen that. Um, it would be great to maybe train with them in Flagstaff or whatever, or they should come to Europe and race me. Um, that would be fun, I guess. Yeah, when you were in Flagstaff, like, did you see a, b- a bunch of the Americans? I mean, there's so many people there. I mean, back when we actually founded Let's Run in Flagstaff in 2000, and there used to, back then there was literally like five runners in the whole city. Now there's like 500. But who, who did you run into? Did you get to see any other people from other teams? Uh, yeah, I saw the um, Centro, of course, was, was pretty cool to see. Um, and some of the other guys from Mike Smith's uh, group. Um, so yeah, it's a really great place to train. A lot of a lot of good athletes. So that inspires as well. Have you ever trained at a altitude before going to Flagstaff? And was it like a was there a big difference? Like, was, did it take take a while to get adjusted? Uh, yeah, I've been to Fontainebleau. Uh, it's about like eighteen hundred meters, uh, so not as high as Flagstaff. Um, but yeah, we had to do, do easy stuff the first week, week and a half. Um, and after that, we still had to be careful, but it's a good camp. So when you meet someone like Centaurus, who was kind of your idol, I mean, you know, when you're 11, that's just the prime sporting age and you see somebody win the gold medal. Like, does someone introduce you and say like, Hey, this kid's a pro Nike athlete has run 13 I think at the time you'd run like 1330 or something, but, or does he just, are you just introduced to some random, like he probably thinks you're some random 17 year old on the street. Like, do they tell him, Hey, this guy's a good runner. No, no, they did not. I, I think I was just, uh, just a, a fan for him. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, next, if I'm ever there and you're there, I'll make sure it happens. But, um, it looks like you've got a big, big rack of Nike shoes back there. What, what's your favorite shoe to train in? Uh, it has to be the Vaporfly. Yeah. 
So uh, have you taught your, uh, what, what, what kind of, I know your dad was an athlete. Was your mom an athlete too? What, what did she do? Yeah, she was. Um, she did 3K and she also went to the same university. So they met there. And how fast is your brother? Uh, he just ran 14.03. In, uh, he is in the U.S. actually. Um, he's back now, but he's going back for another year. Now, where does he go? Just, he's in school here. Uh, Wingate. It's uh, D2 in oh, cool. North Carolina. Yeah. So, did you talk to your parents ever about, like, I don't know, like, do they have lessons that they think, like, things they think they did wrong during their careers or... You know, have they, have they given you any advice that's really stuck out? But or, or do they not talk to you about running? I mean, I, I talked to the to the agent Tom Radcliffe, whose son is a pretty good runner on the Bowman Track Club, and I asked him what he told his son. And his son was a four minute miler, basically four hundred one in high school. He said, "Robert, I've never talked to my son about running, not once." <laughs> so <laughs> we talk a lot about running, but uh, no, he they try to not interfere with like my training and and uh my program but yeah of course they tell stories about how their times as athletes um and yeah they they try to help where where possible and appropriate yeah so your mom went to, did she go to utep too or they went to the same university and, yeah and, oh really is she, is she where's she from or is she from the states also from the netherlands oh okay I was trying to give you American citizenship so we could we could have you switch teams. <laughs> so what about injuries? I mean, to me, I think that, I mean, when you first get involved in the sport, I mean, you've been in it for a while, I guess, but it's just so much, it's so exciting because you're improving so much and you keep getting better and better and you run a little bit more and you get faster. And, you know, you think it's going to happen forever. It doesn't. Eventually you have to plateau a little bit. You know, I mean, look at even Ingebrigtsen. He's kind of plateauing near the world records, but you know, it, it gets harder. But one thing that's a real shock to people is sort of their first time with injury. You know, I think when you're young, you're healthy. A lot of people aren't are dealing with injury. Have you had any injuries yet? Um, what's the biggest problems you've had, if any? Uh, no, I haven't had any serious injuries, luckily. But uh, as I said, this winter. Uh, I couldn't do European cross or world cross um, or indoors uh, because uh, I had a virus. So, yeah, I, I was like, yeah, two, for two and a half months, I, I barely could train. Um, so that's why it's even more surprising I could, could race this early and race this well. Yeah. So were you pretty miserable then? Like, what were you always trying to go out and run and they were telling you to back off or did you do a pretty good job of just, of just realizing my body needs to rest? Uh, the first like two, three weeks, then, uh, yeah, I really couldn't do anything, but then the, the buildup went pretty slowly. So yeah, it was yeah, I had to be like back down. <laughs> it was quite hard, but, uh, yeah, we managed to get back. That's what's most important. Yeah. And I, I, I used to tell the guys, I think a little injury and a little setback is good because did it make you appreciate it a little bit more? Like just how, you know, sometimes you take your health for granted. Yeah, of course. When you're out of the of the running, you, yeah, every run you appreciate and uh, it makes you hungrier for, for 
for more when you watch the other guys race uh, at the race you you wanted to race. So I was glad you mentioned World Cross Country because when I was looking at your stats online, I was like, wait, this guy's never done World Juniors. He's never done World Cross Country. Is he is he a track specialist? What's going on? So do, do you like cross country? Do you have much of a background in that? And do you hope to do World Juniors, you know, at some point? Yeah, yeah, I love cross country. I just when I was young, I used to do it every year. Now this year, I only could do one race, uh, which was the qualification for uh, European Cross. Um, and after that race, I got got sick, so I unfortunately couldn't do any more races. Yeah. And then, other than World Juniors, is there any chance like you could go to World Seniors this year if you hit the time? Like, is that is that like the pipe dream at all, or is that is that better to take one step at a time? Uh, yeah, it's not one of my main goals, but, uh, I could get the standard along the way. And then, uh, me and my coach would, would think about going and seeing what's possible there. How does it work with the Dutch national team and, and sending people to worlds? Uh, so you have an B standard and then you, if you make that and you're, uh, good in the rankings, then you can go and you have an A standard and. If you make that, you can go directly. I'm curious. You know, I, don't, I don't know what it's like to be a fan in, the, in, in other words. Like, how popular is Safana San? Is she like one of the most popular athletes in the country, or is she really you know track and she's not as popular? Like, like how would you rate her popularity? Uh, I I think she's quite popular actually. When when you saw it the uh, Angelo past weekend, there were a lot of lot of people out there for her. So uh, that's good for the for the Dutch sport. Yeah, I mean, she's amazing. Huh? She just she she clearly loves to race and is such a competitor. And then she does so many events. I guess kind of like you do a lot of events. Now, your dad was a steeplechaser. Have you had any 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 thought of of adding that to the repertoire? Uh, no, not yet. I I just want to let him keep uh, one family record for a bit. So I might try that later on, but um, not yet. Yeah, when you're like forty years old and about to retire, you can. <laughs> just add one final knife into your dad's back and go go go, go break that record. Yeah, exactly. It's hard. I think I don't know how old Ingebrigtsen was. He was about your age. You ran worlds in the steeple. Like people forget that. It's kind of crazy yeah. to, to remember. So, um, but I did. You know, I don't know if I have any other questions. Do you have any questions for us about the internet running in the U.S.? Let's run. You know. Uh, no, not really. Actually. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm wondering, like, where do people in the Netherlands get their running news? Like, is there, I don't imagine there's a Netherlands version of Let's Run where we kind of aggregate the news. Do people come to Let's Run? Do they go to other local websites or do you just check Twitter? Like, how do you stay on top of the sport? Um, there's a, a site where all the races in the Netherlands are on. Um, so you can follow that. And there are some, some Instagram accounts that, that keep track of the Dutch elite athletes. Yeah. Uh, what about non-running stuff? Do you do you do uh, you know plyos and weights and, and do you cross train? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, sometimes alternative, um, and yeah, we do do a lot of stuff uh, outside the running to to strengthen the body. So Budapest isn't a big goal, but what about Paris twenty twenty four? 
that yeah that's hard to say now but we aim high so uh we might want to go for it and if it, what what event would you think you'd be most likely to run um i think the the 50 on that you know, folks, when I asked him about the Paris 2024, he had a big smile on his face that gave away. It was a poker tell. <laughs> Don't get in a professional poker game because your smile, you're, you're seeing pretty, pretty excited about it. But it's, it's hard not to get excited about the electrics. They're, they're, they're wonderful. So, all right. Well, it's been great to, to have you on. Alex, great job in organizing it. And I'll let you have the parting shot with the last question. Last question, not running related. Um I see behind you, you have a Phoenix Suns, uh, like box or picture or something. Are you an NBA fan? Yeah, I watched uh, Phoenix Suns game in, in Flagstaff uh, when I was there. Um, so after that, I've been following uh, NBA for a bit. Are the Suns your team, their team? Yeah, I watched their, watched their game. It was my first game, so I have to support them. Cool. Oh, Alex is a big soccer fan. I don't really know much about soccer, but everybody else in Let's Run does. Do you have a soccer team? What's, what's your favorite team over there? Or, or, football team, excuse me. Uh, soccer or football? Well, jo- Alex, how, how do you explain it? I guess soccer in America, football football in, in uh, uh, okay. Netherlands. Uh, I support uh, PSV. It's a Dutch team or uh, Manchester United for uh, international. Wait, do you have it in favorite American football team? That would be interesting. No, actually not. Yeah. Baltimore Ravens. We're going all the way this year. I look like a genius. All right. Well, good seeing you. And if we don't see you in uh, Budapest, I expect to see you in Paris next year. Stay healthy. That's really the most important thing. Just It sounds like you've got a great setup because I was thinking, like, this kid's so young. When he travels over here, where's he training with? Does he have a team environment? And you said the team was the key to the success. So a coach that you trust in, a team teammates that make it fun, and then health. So you you, you can thank your parents for the talent. So and, and what, once you get good, the hard work takes care of itself because it's fun to win races and run fast. So best of luck to you. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Rojo's rant is up next for supporters club members, and you got to join today if you want to know what's going down at NCAs, what happens in Paris. You'll get the week. You'll get our second weekend podcast. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Special offer. Use code GOAT50 to save 50%. We're still feeling generous because of Faith Kipiai Guns world record. Let's runners, are you having trouble finding the sports you want to watch? Looking for random channels when most of it's on free on YouTube if you have the right IP address? Sign up for the VPN we use at Let's Run. Go to let'srun.com slash VPN. That's let's run my comp slash VPN.